Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment and followed it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. We have covered many aspects to getting published, whether writer or illustrator. Today, we will be discussing something that has not been covered in the two years of the podcast, how to present yourself, and what makes a good bio, and how important is your headshot, simple tools to promote yourself. Today's guest is Inzandi, also known as Ace Antonio Hall. Inzandi is an American urban fantasy and horror writer. His novel, Owari Mosaic, won the Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement and Young Adult Fiction. Inzandi is a former director of education for NYC Schools and the Sylvan Learning Center. I initially met Inzandi through the Greater Los Angeles Writers Society, one of the largest writing societies in California, when he, as vice president, made a presentation on the 80th anniversary of Ellen Hubbard as a professional author back in 2014. Welcome, Inzandi. Hey, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've been trying to do this, I think, since um, World Fantasy uh, two years ago. We didn't have it last year, but yeah, it was. Uh, so finally, we're getting yeah. this together, so this is great. A little thing called life kind of got in the way of that, but uh, we're back on track now. That's great. That's great. So first off, you're both a stand-in and a writer. So yeah. after describing what a stand-in actually is, how do you juggle these two professions? Yeah, you know, um, even before I answer that, you know, I, I, I used to teach school. So I taught school in New York for somewhere around 11 years. And then two years, um, I was at the Silver Learning Center as a director. So uh, one of the things that I used to always tell my students was whatever passion or whatever career that you go into, uh, you have to have a passion, an insane passion for what you want to do and always give the example of Michelangelo and what it took to paint the Sistine Chapel. You know, I said for someone to to be on a ladder and leaning backwards and maybe he had some helpers, but to finish that project took such an overwhelming amount of focus that the, the ordinary person wouldn't do it. You know, they do it for a few hours and say, you know, I say, screw this. I can't, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, I can't do this. My back hurts. And so that's kind of what I believe it takes or what it took for me to be able to be on, you know, I'm writing my fifth, my fourth novel now and to have published the novels that I have was this insane obsession to just get it done no matter what, like it was a job. And so how I juggled the two, I, I'm a stand-in. So a stand-in, I, I work for uh, a variety of different television and theatrical film productions or have worked over the years anywhere from happy endings to how to get away with murder i did that whole run uh, uh starring viola davis and a stand-in i always basically i say it's basically a stunt man but i don't do the stunts we basically go over the rehearsals and everything that the lighting and camera department needs to go over before the actor stands in and does the scene. So that's what a stand-in is. We're a stand-in actor. And so we have a lot of downtime. We, you know, uh, we may do that. Actually, when they start a scene, it may take about an hour to two hours to get the scene set up. 
And there are many, 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 many setups. Just to give an example, that's that incredible cycle, the shower scene, the cycle. Yeah. Just the shower scene alone was somewhere around over 50 setups. Just for that scene, 50 setups. And so there are a lot of different setups, and some of them are quick. So I can sit down for a minute, sometimes two minutes, or for an hour to two hours and get my writing done. And a lot of people say, I can't do that. Get up and get down, get up and get down and, and stay focused. But I think about it, you know, I always think of Michelangelo. I have to get it done. So that's kind of how I had to, you know, had to juggle it. And the insane part was when I wrote my first novel, I can, anyone who knows me back then knew, now I'm not a, you know, I wasn't a mother with kids. I get that. But I turned my phone off and I was in Starbucks on the weekends from 5 a.m. when it opened right there on Shoop and uh, in Woodland Hills, California, till it closed at 11 p.m. My back was hurting, but I was there the whole time writing and focused on my writing. Didn't ask my phone, didn't look at my phone, and I had a few rules, couldn't play games. You know, I had to write. So it was that insane, you know, obsession that I had to get it done that's helped me to stay focused and be pretty consistent with my writing. Wow, that's impressive. Thanks. So what inspired you to become a writer in the first place? Oh, that's a tricky question to not sound, to use the word again, insane. You know, uh, the characters talk to me. So, and what I mean by that is um, in my sleep out, I'll have a story idea or an idea for a scene. And when I'm driving and it's like, I guess because of all the different experiences that I've had, I just hear the scene in my head and I can't not hear it or unhear it and I have to write it down. And so, you know, a lot of those ideas come like that. And, you know, even the simplest thing, like sometimes if I go down the wrong street, I look at the name of the street and somehow that inspires me to, you know, somehow put that in my book. So. So that's, uh, so when, when did you start writing? Were you like, was it something you were like four years old and you took your crayons <laughs> and wrote your first story on your, on your bedroom wall or how'd you get pretty, <laughs> pretty close, pretty close. I guess my father was one of my biggest inspirations, Chris Asaman, DC Hall. Uh, he passed away in 2006, but he was a, uh, a artist connoisseur. He, he uh, was a writer. He penned some of the classic jazz songs, So What by Miles Davis. He did the words to that song by Eddie Jefferson. He did a few songs, uh, and he also created the first black superhero. Uh, 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 published it, not just created it, but it was published in 1963, which was actually three years before Black Panther. And so I believe all of that kind of inspired me at a young age. I used to kind of color, like you said, use crayons and, and draw uh, King Kong and Godzilla comics of my own. And then I established my own little superheroes. And, uh, I think that's how I started storytelling. Wow. So that has been a, a life journey for you. Yep. Absolutely. So now you, you know, like I mentioned in the intro, you won the Bram Stoker award for Owari yeah. Mosaic with your pen name in Zandi. So first of all, yeah. do, are all your books published under that name in Zandi or do any of them get published under Ace Antonio Hall? Yeah, when I first started out, you know, I, I published under my, my stage name. My, my, my first name is actually Asiman DC, A-C-E-M-A-N. 
D-E-S-E, and I'm named after a king who laid down the first stellar systems, uh, King of Kush, Africa, who laid down the first stellar systems. And so I kind of shortened that to Ace and uh, Antonio Hall. Antonio was my Spanish name in high school. And uh, so those books like uh, The Confessions of Silver Slasher and my nonfiction book, Lord of the Flies, you know, it's a fitness for writers. Uh, those books were written under the name Ace Antonio Hall. And, you know, after my father died, I decided that I wanted to present myself in a more brand myself uh, closer to my roots and my culture with my African name. So I started using my middle name in Zandi. And, you know, I think there's a power in names. And, 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 and just like that, you know, I, I, I won the Bram Stoker. I still can't believe it. I mean, it wasn't just the name that did it, but I do believe that, you know, a lot of things has to do with the whole chemistry of how it's made and yeah. made up. So, um, yeah, that's, and Zondi's use on, I will now, I will we'll use that on the rest of my projects from now on. Okay. So now this book that you, uh, that you wrote, it's a near future post-apocalyptic story. Um, yeah. It takes place in Ghana. and. Yep. So how did you keep, conceive this story? It was what was your inspiration? It was de it's definitely um, chilling, you know, looking at because it's the near future. It's a post-apocalyptic yeah. near future where the world has destroyed itself through um, atomic proliferation that just kind of yeah. went crazy. So how'd that develop in your John? You, you're not even gonna believe how it developed. You're, you're not gonna believe it. <laughs> okay, I'm listening. So, I'm sitting down. <laughs> so for I don't know how long, for the longest time, I have been an avid fan, a, a just a huge fan of Jack Klugman. And he had a show called Quincy M.E. Sure. Medical exam. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite of all favorite uh, TV television shows. And that part of that inspired me to write this novel, which is a lot of people call a medical procedure procedural right uh that influenced me as well as one night i watched sherlock holmes the hound of baskerville mm -hmm. maybe for the third or fourth time and immediately it inspired me to write awari mosaic <laughs> the hounds to, of baskerville to awari mosaic <laughs> yeah from london and, from mean, london to ghana okay good yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i mean it, it, you, if, if the strain and Veronica Mars had a baby and named it uh, Altered Carbon, uh, Owari Mosaic would be Altered Carbon's first cousin. You know, yeah. It, all of those things influenced me. So the fact that you, that you do like, I always have a lot of questions. So anytime I interview a, an author that specializes in, in horror or dark fantasy. So yeah. what, because you're like a real chipper guy so I've, I've got this fixed idea about you know dark fantasy and horror you yeah. know being the opposite of chipper so right um yeah how does how does that work uh in my in my in my life i have noticed that and it's just in a few you know the few uh, people, acquaintances that I've met, I've noticed that a lot of comedians that I've met, especially those that are very, uh, that were very popular, 
had very dark, they, they were very dark people. And yet they would stand on stage and make the entire world laugh. Um, it, it's that kind of, I'm that kind of prototype. You know, I've had a lot of distress and pain and tragedies in my life. You know, from when I was 19 years old and got married and five days after I got married, you know, my wife died in a car accident. You know, from that to, you know, just so many different tragedies in my life that the choice is either to let that continue to make me stay dark or to be very chipper. And I choose to be very chipper, to be very positive. However, in writing, I've learned to tap into that darkness and through that to be able to express myself and in a way it's, it's very therapeutic at the same time you know it's it, you know it's just it's just something that is part of my dna now okay i get it that that, that makes sense because mm -hmm. these characters in your in your novel i mean the whole scenario the whole setting is after gone has been just well, actually everything's been destroyed but it, its setting is there and you don't really know what's happening elsewhere because a lot of that technology is gone except for this yeah one girl who has this implant with this game that evidently nobody else knows about except for this one other in inspector and it's just how yeah. that goes on and she's just... been reading my book i love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i just i wanted to I was fascinated after you told me about it, so I wanted to read. And um, so just how that does, but you're, it's so gritty on your description of the lifestyle of the people there, you know, and just, have you been there before? Have you actually been to Ghana or were you, did you grow up there before you came to, to the United States or how? Woo, you just hit, woo. Okay, so one of the things, John, when I was a teacher that I was, that, that really, crinkled my, my eyebrows was when I read in the textbooks to my English teacher, I mean, to my, my English students, that I, it was, you know, that I was to tell my students to write what they know. Okay, so I taught at IS-231 in Springfield Garden, Queens. And most of my students, what they knew were, you know, uh, you know, bad marriages, streets, gangs, poverty, I didn't want them to write about that. I said, you guys can write about anything. You can write about Star Wars. You can write about two old Italian people who fell in love. You can write about anything. The key is you have to kind of put a little attention to the research it involves and you know make sure it's as accurate as possible. And so that's kind of what I did. So I've never been to Ghana, never been to Africa, but the imagination was there and the fascination with that culture was there. So I had to study it and, and make sure that it was as accurate as possible, yet still make it imaginative. So that's what I did. I get it. Yeah, because it was just like, wow. It just, it totally <laughs> puts you into that scene in that environment. And it's obviously in the future, so you can see it's it's definitely decayed. Now in that in that story, it's almost like there's not almost like there's the definite political overtones and the various yeah. the various uh, isms, you know, the yeah. uh, sociological isms that are addressed in there. Is that the intention of that, or are you just, or is it just more? Are you trying to like provide like if we keep going in a certain direction, this could be the outcome, or this what happens when you have this type of an ism as the prevailing um, socioeconomic economic policy? 
or are you just trying to tell a story about this girl that's trying to get on in life and this is what's happening? Um, you know, I believe that I can't remember who told me this. I, I, it may have been my mentor, uh, Robert J. Sawyer, who did Flash Forward and the WWW series and many other yeah, wonderful good friend. Books. Good friend. Um, I think it was him. I, I'm not sure. But, you know, we write a story, but every author who really writes a story has like this message that they kind of want to send as an undertone. And, you know, it's really sometimes when you look deep into it, what the book is all about, you know, what is the book about? And so it, it kind of was just my my viewpoint on on politics and how politics could affect an entire world or destroy an entire world. Right. And, and then the effects of how people, you know, the emotional effects of how people can how they live throughout that, you know that turmoil or, 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 or you know, that devastation, because we, we have tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of stories that have post-apocalyptic, you know, that are post-apocalyptic stories, but they, a lot of them, some of them, not a lot of them, some of them don't really go deep into the effects of how emotionally of how it, you know, deals with the, how the characters deal with that. Right. So I kind of wanted to do that with that book. Yeah. But a lot of times post-apocalyptic, isn't near future. It's like, you know, you just set it far enough in the future so that you're like, you're safe. But you're like, you've, I mean, this is what, in, in 2026 or 2046? It's, it's, it like, I think it was 2025. 2020. Yeah, you know, if three years ago, you would have told me that I would have had to, to be at work for, for 12, 13 hours a day with a mask on, uh, I would have laughed at you. Fair or that the entire world was affected in the way that it has been with the millions of death, deaths that we've had. I, I would not have believed if you would have told me three years ago that something as devastating as like the bubonic plague would affect us. I just would have thought we, you know, would find a way to get around that. But here we are. So, yeah. Point made. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this first game goes to Ace Antonio Hall, otherwise known as Nzandi. So now when we first met, you were a vice president for the Greater Los Angeles Writers Society. Um, yeah. Can you discuss what that is and what it can do for an aspiring um, writer or an accomplished writer? Yeah, so in 2000, around 2008, I just was frustrated as a, a creative. And what I mean by creative is a lot of people who write or who are, you know, uh, who are creative, they, they delve in a lot of different things. My father used to always say, Jack of Trades, master of none. And I was that guy, I was master of none. You know, I was singing rock music, producing music. You know, I did, I, I, you know, played on New Kids on the Block, Dirty Dog. I produced Inner City back in the day. I was trying to be a punk singer. And, you know, I was writing poetry and writing novels and, trying to act and trying to direct. It was just too many things. I wasn't focused. And well, 2008, I decided that's it. You know, I know I've had a great education, but I want to, I just want to focus on writing. So I went to my first uh, writing event. I looked up online, where, where, what do I do? Where can I go? And I went to, uh, I don't even think they have it anymore, but the West Hollywood Book Fair in 2008. Uh, there were three, 
crucial entities that I that I was uh, introduced that brought me to where I am today. The first two writers that I ever met was uh, Alexander Sokolov, which if anyone is just now writing or starting to write or want to write brilliant, you should look Alexandra Sokolov up. You should take her writing courses. She has a phenomenal book about writing that kind of bounces off of Christopher Vogler's books on writing. And I met um, Heather Graham, not the actress, but the, the phenomenal writer of hundreds of ghost stories, sci-fi stories, horror stories, and romance novels. And they kind of took me in. And Heather told me about the horror writing society and you know uh we traded information they just met me we took pictures it was great and i also met um some of the volunteers for the greater los angeles writer society gloss and they you know they they told me to come to their meetings and i said okay i'll, I'll check it out and that's kind of how i started in 2008 i went to one meeting and knew that that was the place for me i met a president and the founder, Tony N. Todaro, and his group was just so instrumental in introducing me to all the tips, the do's, the don'ts, the hows of writing, and also introduced me to some of the most phenomenal literary figures in writing from, from you, from Joni Labaki, to uh, Ray Bradbury, uh, rest in peace, you know, when he came to speak to us and he spoke to me personally, to so many people, and it was really instrumental in me learning the process, the business, and the game of writing and what to do. After two years, I became vice president. I was, I was such a volunteer, so gung-ho about being at every event that I became the vice president. That's a great story. And I do have to say about Tony Todaro, he's probably, probably the most dedicated person I've met yeah. to really wanting to be able to help the aspiring writer and artist. He's just, he's got so many different things going on. He's constantly creating. He's all over the place. Um, yeah. He's the king. He's the king. He's the, he's the, he's the king cheerleader for aspiring writers. He certainly if is you that. you are just learning to write, you need to join, if you live in Los Angeles, the Greater Los Angeles Writer Society, because they will definitely help you get, uh, you know, get started and get on a good path like they did for me. That's great. That's great. Thanks. So when um, when you came to my offices in, like I said, I think it was in 2014, um, you presented an award on behalf of, of Greater Los Angeles Writer Society. Tony wasn't able to make it, so he asked you to, to stand in for him. And yeah. that was, um, uh, we were doing a whole thing there. There were several uh, writing organizations that, that actually recognized Mr. Hubbard for his writing prowess and mm -hmm. i use that term very you know um intentionally because um there's been so many different writing organizations and other authors famous authors who, who have acknowledged what um some of the some of the different levels that he that he raised the bar to like the one story typewriter in the sky that we spoke about prior to the interview yeah. you know yeah. it's just, it, it comes up time and time again it's one of the favorite stories because of it's a story within a story within a story, almost depending upon yeah. what level of, of a whether you're a writer or just a, a reader. It just it, it speaks different ways to uh, different people based upon their own experience with writing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, um, now you said you'd read that 
you know, you were reading uh, Typewriting Sky. Any comments you've got about that? Because we're talking you know, about uh, writing. I, one of my buddies, uh, Mike, used to say, I kind of, I think I paraphrased it and made it into my own, that I read to inhale and I write to exhale. And breathing helps me to create story. Right. And I don't, you know, a lot of people get, uh, what is it? I don't even know what it's called now. Uh, when you can't write, what is that called? Writer's, Writer's block. Yeah, I don't even see. I don't even. I, I blocked the word block. <laughs> I don't really get writer's block. Um, and not to, you know, downplay anyone who gets it, but I think partly because when I read, I'm inspired. It just inspires me to write. It wakes up my writing muse. And when I started reading that story. And just the way that, uh, what's his name, Mike D. Wolf, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, how he's drawn into this, this, this world. Uh, I mean, it's just everything that I'm, it's just everything that, that, that kind of excites me. And so I love his writing style. I love L. Ron Hubbard's story and how he became a writer and what he did. You know, I've seen a couple of short films on it and, his style is 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 the kind of style that's I wouldn't call it purple prose. It's not that, but it's it's colorful as well as vivid, as well as fun, and and it's always you know full of uh, adventure, action and adventure. Yeah. So I love that style of writing. Yeah, he was writing at a time when this was uh, the gold. What became the golden age at the time? It was he said it was just um, a lot of of intense creativity that was taking place. But he was, um, you know, America at the time had, had just gone through World War I, the Depression. Mm -hmm. Half America mm -hmm. was out of work. The other half was uncertain about what was going to happen. World War II was, like, looming because of all the what was happening in Europe at the time. So people were definitely, un, you know, uneasy. So they needed something that would be a little bit larger than life that would, at least for a little bit they were reading, distract them from the worries of what was happening. And so his, his, um, his stories also tend to um, uh, survive the test of time because he's more yeah. people-centric, you know? Yeah. Because um, people haven't really changed. You know, a, a good guy's still a good guy. A gentleman's still a gentleman. A, a schnook is still a schnook. So, um, <laughs> so he's got those, those characters. And by having it, how he does that with uh, making it so vivid, it, yeah, and know. characters you can relate to. Exactly. Characters you can relate to. Characters that you, people you know. Yeah. And I think that's what helps it make the, you know, test of time, stand the test of time. Yeah. Because, you know, if, you know, he just didn't have that much attention on the technology then as much as it was on the people, and which is why uh, Street and Smith, which was the major publishing house at that time, um, mm. pulled him in as, a, as an event, as a very successful adventure writer. And gave him to this new editor, John W. Campbell, for Astounding and said, okay, we want you to add people to um, science fiction. So it's not so much the ray gun robot, um, right. but instead, you know, we got people involved in, in the genre. He did that also with, um, with horror too. Have you ever read Fear? I have not. Yeah, that's, not. That's, that was one of the ones that was also transformative of the uh, horror genre that introduced kind of like the concept of psychological thrillers, which even mm. Stephen King says this is one of the really, really good ones. Um, and what is it called? Fear? Fear. Yeah. You have to check that out. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, um, 
Yeah, just we're talking about about Glaz and you know what it does to the aspiring writer. That's we also got to know each other uh, through Writers of the Future. You've been to some of the events and stuff, and that's yeah. pretty much the purpose of Writers of the okay, Future as well. Wait, can we just talk about that event? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> that event, first of all, uh, and I can get very, I can get, I, I'm, I can get, I can get excited very quickly. That event to me is like the Oscar Awards of writing. Joni Labaki, let me tell you something. The first time I met Joni Labaki, so after the show, which is this grand show of performances, uh, Ariel, uh, there was an Ariel, what do you call them? The Ariel dancers. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, every show is something different and something grand and something big something vegas like you know and uh and, and and as well as you know the award show itself which is is always uh interesting um after the show i i, I don't I, you, you know there's mingling and, and people are, are speaking to each other and you know getting you know seeing each other for the first time in a year and you know she, i don't know how i met her but she came up to me and she said, are you Ace Antonio Hall? Or either someone introduced us and she said, are you Ace Antonio Hall? I said, yes. And she grabbed my hand and said, come on. And she took me all around the place and introduced me to everyone. And then she interviewed me. And from that moment on, I was in love with writers and illustrators of the future. And, you know, whenever she called me or needed me to do something, I was there. And... You know, it's a great event. It's, it's 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 one of the premier events, I believe, especially for aspiring writers, uh, because you know I was lucky enough to get uh, an honorable mention uh, recognition on two of my short stories, and and that's hard enough. I know of writers that submitted, you know, several times, seven, eight times before they won, but when you win, it just opens the doors for you in such a way, uh, more so than many other organizations can do for you. So it's a great organization. Um, and, and the contestants even have a chance to, to do workshops with some of the top literary authors in the field. And it's just, it's just a wonderful way to, to get into the, to, the, the writing business. Yeah that, was the actual, yeah, that was actually how it was conceived originally in 83 by L. Ron Hubbard. When he launched the contest, he had just finished uh, with his release of Battlefield Earth in 82. And mm -hmm. um, so he had had a history already of lending a helping hand to the aspiring writer. And so this was a continuation of that. So when he launched his contest, you know, even many of the original judges said, you know, if this makes it 10 years, that would be great. You know, this is a really noble purpose and what it's doing. But now yeah. we are in year 38. and. Wow. It's um, 38th year now, and we have entries wow. from over 175 countries. We have thousands of entries each quarter now. It's, it's just mammoth between the writers and illustrators that's, of the Future Contest. And that's excellent. Kudos, kudos to you. That's excellent. It's really an, it's an amazing program, and it's, it stayed true to the original intention that Mr. Hubbard created for it was to provide that means for the aspiring writer artist to be seen and acknowledged. And because it's blind judging... Everybody has a fair chance, you know, because all the judges will yeah. see is the, the story or the art and a number. They have no idea of the race, nationality, age, sex, anything. It's just straight, how good is the story? 
So yeah. it's the only thing like that, and it's free to enter. And now we've set it up so you can enter online too, so you don't even have to be able to afford the postage, which the uh, the adage about the old, the, the poor starving artist is is so true. So now that they don't have to spend any money to make copies of their art to send it in, the uh, we've been able to get so many more entries from all over the world. So um, anyway, so that's 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 way cool on this thing that you were able to attend that one event, and then you've been able to also assist um, you know the rise of the future as you have by like I know that Gloss is is definitely promoted and given a, a voice to rise of the future to uh, to all the membership, which has been very much appreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those two I, those two organizations were. Uh, just paramount for helping launch my career. Yeah. So now, um, at the outset, I mentioned that we were going to, you know, discuss simple tools to promote yourself, and this is one of the things yeah. that you used to um, to do as part of GLAWS, you know, to uh, as part of that briefings and seminars you used to give. So I think I'll just like turn over the microphone to you, and just other than my periodic wows and oohs and ahs. Um, just how does one present themselves? You know, what makes a good bio and how important is a headshot and any other points that you've got that's important? Well, you know, first let me let me start by saying I, I completely empathize with most writers. You just want to write. You really don't want to spend a lot of time, uh, <laughs> almost an oxymoron, uh, online because, you know, because of social networking now people can spend a lot of time online, but you really don't want to spend a lot of time online promoting yourself. You just you just want to write. And to be frank, that's just not the world we live in anymore. Uh, I remember when I had the, the opportunity to have dinner with Jerry Purnell, rest in peace, Larry Niven, and uh, Robert Sawyer. Jerry Purnell uh, told me the story about how he was just starting and he did this little uh, book signing in a little small town. And he said, you know, just be humble. Just always do as much as you can. You know, even if it's a small, you know, independent bookstore or what have you, you know, just do it because it all adds to your career. And he did. And he said it was raining all day and no one came. And, you know, he was starting to feel like maybe he made a mistake in doing, you know, in doing the book signing. Um, and this small local television uh, news show showed up and, you know, they said, hey, we'd like to, to interview you for our show. And he said, wow, news must be really slow in this town. And he did the interview and he says now that he goes there, he sells at least a telephone book worth of books, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a telephone book of names worth of books. In other words, you know, a metaphor for he sells a tons of tons of books. And it was just going to that little small outfit. And it, it made me understand how branding is everything. Another thing Jerry said was he doesn't talk about himself. Hey, buy this book. This is this. This is that. He talks about things in his life. He doesn't try to sell the book. He just tells you about, you know, what he's doing. And he said that was the best thing because instead of turning people off, you know, you meet people at a lot of events and the first thing, hey, my book is this, my book is that, my book is this. They're just talking about events, uh, things that happen in their life. And, and that is what makes them more approachable. 
and makes them more likable. So one of the first tools in, I believe, in, in promoting yourself is understanding, number one, branding is everything. Number two, that the internet is forever. So when you realize that the internet is forever, and you're an aspiring writer or an author, and you've got a couple of books out or self-published books out or you know, traditionally pub published book out, books out, uh, one of the rules that I have is never argue with anyone because the internet is forever. More and more so you hear about people get losing, losing, uh, you know, losing money, losing jobs because of something they did two or three years ago, four years ago, 10 years ago, it surfaces. And then they lose, you know, an endorsement or, or two. It just happened recently to a, a few Hollywood stars. The internet is forever. Never argue. I try not to never discuss religion, politics, or anything that can be that hot, that hot button for, you know, for for negativity. Yeah. Because you're an author, you want to sell books. And you want to build your brand. You want to build a fan base. Believe me, your fan base has all types of different opinions. And so you just kind of want to stay away from that and just say, hey, you know, this is what I do. So I tell everyone who's promoting themselves, never argue, discuss religion, politics, and social media, or, nor say anything negative about anyone in the literary industry. Yay, I, you know, I just got a negative response from you know, X, Y, Z publishing, and they did this and did that, you know, I stay away from all that. And I tell all, when I do my keynote speaking events, I tell everyone, stay away from any of that because you never know how that may come back and bite you. That might be the same organization or publisher that wants to sign you and they realize, oh, you're the one that did that. And, you know, you burned your bridge. So that's number, that's number two. The other thing is in promoting yourself, the internet has set it up where for a very small amount of money, you can invest in yourself and expose yourself. For example, on Instagram, you can actually expose yourself to hundreds of new writers per month, per week, per day. Depends on how you do it. Uh, if you start a business account, if you're a writer and an author, you start a business account. You just have to Google how to start a business account on Instagram and it will show you the prompts and you follow the prompts. And you set up a business profile and maybe for a dollar a day or a dollar a week, you can promote your book and it shows you how you can promote it to different parts of the world and for different people of different interests. It's all set up like that. And now without really talking to anyone, if you're, you know, very uh, an introvert and you really don't want, like talking to people, all you have to do is put a cover of your book, some information about your book and do for a dollar a day or a dollar a week, do a little, uh, you know, uh, uh, a business profile. And, you know, now you're exposing yourself to hundreds of people a day or a week. It depends on how much you can do a dollar a day, $2 a day, $5 a day. You know, that might be a bit much, but $5 a week. Whatever it is for that little small amount of investment, $20 a month, $10 a month, you're now exposing yourself to hundreds of new writers all over the world. How can you beat that? How can you beat that? Uh, so I believe those are two of the things that you can do. The other thing is when you query. So 
I believe that you have to have a very succinct and, and, and very efficient query letter when you query literary agents and you query publishers. Um, there are some things you can look it up online. There's many, many resources on how to, the best way to query. Uh, and of course, you never answer the rejections. You never answer the rejections, but the best way to query. Uh, and there are many ways to do that, but you want to keep it short, really anywhere from a paragraph to two paragraphs, and that's it. So you can know? you describe, please, what, what a query is? But, but that you a use query that is basically an introduction letter. Great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. A query is basically an introduction letter, and it's saying a few things. It's saying, I have this book that's so many words, 70,000 words, and then you give a little quick elevator pitch of about one to two sentences of what the book is about. Usually in the elevator pitch, you have to have, I think, about five crucial things. Who, you know, who meaning... Who's the protagonist, what the conflict is, where it's happening in a local town, um, and who the protagonist is, whether the protagonist is a bad guy or nature or whatever the or evil spirit, what the protagonist is, and what's at stake. You know, you have those four or five elements and you have a great elevator pitch. You know, uh, let me try to think of something. A uh, when a when a when a shark kills people in a local coastal town. A waterphobic sharp, a waterphobic sheriff uh, gathers together, you know, a, a team to to find the shark before it kills again. You know, so mm -hmm. I, I already told you who the, the the antagonist is, who the person is, and I put a little conflict with the actual the, the protagonist by telling him he's waterphobic. So there's a little bit of the conflict. He has to go in the water, stop the shark. We all know what story I'm talking about, Jaws. Mm -hmm. He has to go in the water and stop the shark, but he's waterphobic. So there's a little bit of the conflict. I tell you where, a local coastal, a local coastal, coastal town. You know, that's telling you where. You don't have to say specifically where. So you have the elevator pitch, one to two sentences, and then you have how many words it is. You have what genre it's in. And you could add, if you like, maybe what audiences would like this book, you know, you know, uh, audience, young readers who enjoy, you know, action thrillers or young readers who enjoy, you know, young, uh, young adult horror, science fiction and romance. And you have that little bit. And then you, if you have a little bit of history in that area of or awards, you put two or three of the awards that you have. You know, I won the Bram Stoker Award. I, I was uh, a two-time two honorable mention, you know, uh, I had two-time honor, honorable mention recognition at the, you know, at the Writers and Illustrators of the Future Awards. You put one or two of those things, and I've published three books, this book, this book, and that book, and that's pretty much it, you know, and that's your query letter. So you query that to the literary agent, um, maybe a little bit of your background, you know, I have a a uh, bachelor's degree in writing and I graduated from you know Stanford University or whatever it may be and that's pretty much it so that's your query letter so you keep your query letter pretty short and if you get a rejection I always say no basically change that in your mind to means not yet that you're just not ready yet I submitted when I first started submitting short stories I had a goal in mind that I wanted to get it published so people complain to me sometimes. They come to me and they say, hey, I got rejected five, six, seven times. I, I can't take this anymore. And when I tell them my story, they, can, they continue to 
to uh, they continue to submit their stories. I submitted seven times a day for about six months to different publishers. I received 582 rejections, 582 rejections, which is extremely, I mean, you, you want to just go walk off the plank after that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I got, I received out of those 582 rejections, also got 18 yeses. 18 yeses. Now you say, oh my God, you published 18 short stories? In a year and a half, 18 of my short stories were published. That's a lot. It is. And I went through 582 rejections. You know, so no means not yet. You keep going. So promoting yourself also means not stopping it, it could mean you're not ready yet you keep polishing up your work you know I, re, I i read 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 i don't know any writer who can't who doesn't read if you're an author and you're a published author you must read you must understand what you're reading the tropes of your genre but basically you know let, i don't want to get side note onto that more to promoting yourself also your bio so your bio basically very short two or three sentences. You want your bio to tell your background, your education, any of the awards you may have that's relevant to the writing career, and that's it. Maybe where you live, of course. You know, I live in Los Angeles, I live in New York, and that's pretty much it. The tone of your bio, uh, if you wanna add one or two little soft things about yourself, can tell what kind of writing you have. So if you write, humorous books. So when you say where you live, I live at home with my bonsai tree. You know, that's a little bit of a humor, you know, a little humor added to that. So sometimes the tone of how you describe yourself also shows the genre of your book. And speaking of tone, we go to your your picture, your promotional picture. I see have seen so many biographical photographs of an author where they just simply went outside and took a picture with their phone and their cat is in the background and you see the garden or something like that. I mean, it's cute, it's a nice little picture, but I don't think that's a promotional picture to brand yourself with. When you look at some of your favorite authors, look in the back of the books at some of the photographs that they have, you know, uh, their bio pictures, their bio photos. If you look at a Stephen King's picture, a lot of them look really, the tone of it looks really dark. There's a reason for that. That's what he writes. He writes hard. You know, you look at the picture and it's the shadows in the picture or his expression. It's just, it looks dark, you know? So you also kind of want to try to create a tone for your, your photograph. But most importantly, you want to have a professional photograph. Today, you can pretty much shoot a professional photograph, you know, and, and, and use filters and have a background. You just want to have a solid background behind you. Of, black or white or red or pink you have a solid background behind you and and it's just a head shot just your head and you can now use filters to have the lighting look perfect and take out the wrinkles or whatever you want and you have a nice little shot i prefer using a professional photographer now you can get a professional photographer for anywhere from 50 to 100 dollars and you have your headshots so i believe when you present yourself with professional headshots this is branding yourself as someone who a publisher says, I can invest my money into this author 
you know, and feel good that we're going to make money off them because that's all they want to do. They love the story, but they want to they, they want to profit off of the story. So you want to make sure that as an author, you're also in business. So being a business, you know, one, branding is everything. Two, the Internet is forever. Don't argue with people. You know, stay positive. Three, you can invest in yourself for a dollar a week, a dollar a day. You know, uh, you can invest in yourself on some of the websites like Insta Instagram or or Facebook. And and then four, make sure you have a great bio, a short bio, a succinct bio and a great photo of yourself. So I think those are some of the simple tools to promote yourself. Wow, that's really good. And it's it's interesting you know, one thing I want to go back to when you were talking about um, the number of rejects that you had, another thing yeah. too that a person doesn't normally think of, they'll think, oh, wow, this is the best story I've ever written, and it comes back rejected. They don't know that on the other end, the editor looking at it or the first read or whatever has just had 10 more stories just like that or the magazine oh, yeah. or the magazine. Yeah had just sold that same type of story in the last issue, so they're not going to do it for the net, for another six issues. Right. So it could be that, too. Or it could be something could simple be as just a, a bad hair day for, that, for the editor. He just, like, had a fight with his partner or at work or, you know, just had some, some di disaster befall him, and so he's just got a foul mood. And so uh, because yours wasn't a foul story, it was, it was too uplifting <laughs> for him. He wasn't ready for something like that, so it's like, bah, and so he gets rejected. John. No means not yet. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not yet. Yet, yet is hope. Yet means that you are going to sell it. Yet means, yes, someone will love it. All you need is one. All you need is one person to say yes. Just one. Yeah. Yeah. So on um on on these points, because these are these are really, really good points. Um Thanks. on the uh aspect of the Internet is forever because this is something that gets violated, and I see this violated quite routinely. Where, um, especially now with the, um, you know, even in the in the Me Too movement, where it gets people are really um, take Woo. take sides, and yep. I've kept a thing very very um, clear on writers of the future. I don't take sides. I'm not anything about religion. I'm not anything about politics. It's all mm -hmm. about the author and writing, and I definitely don't go after dissing some other author for whatever reason. You know, it's just right. Um, they're a fellow creative, and I've had it before with a contest where some people have just, you know, they obviously weren't raised to learn about manners. <laughs> you know, they just like seem to get very rude, and so I don't uh, get it. I won't engage in that. You know, I just I keep it on that, and if, if someone's going to um, to have that negativity. That has nothing. John, to, that has nothing to do with writers of the future. So we just, I yeah, just don't and, allow that. And, and, and I believe, like, if you look at it this way, as regards to dissing another author or a, you know, a project. To me, you know, if you're a true artist, you have to respect the art, and respecting the art means to recognize how beautiful it is that no matter who you are, how old you are, where you are, how you look, if you have the magic, you know, it can influence the world. So, you know, somebody may say, hey, I don't like, you know, Sharknado films. 
well, you know what? A lot of people like Sharknado films. Yeah. And they're making a lot of money. They're on the fifth, sixth, seventh one. People have Sharknado parties. There was a magic to that. There was a magic to that. And to understand and to love the fact that you may not like it doesn't mean that it doesn't have that magic. Let's not even be subjective and say it was good or bad that it didn't have that magic. Okay. It has nothing, you know, if you, if you realize that, you can appreciate someone's art that got out there and that was, you know, that people responded to without saying something negative, like, why did this person win this award? Or why did this person write this book? It's the worst book I've ever read. You don't even go into that. You just respect the art and you respect the artist. And by doing that, that also helps you brand yourself. Yeah. And perhaps you're talking about having the, the business account, you know, if you're yeah. going to have something where you, where you just can't, you feel like you can't live if you, if you have to constantly be muzzled, then have a second private account that you can do where you can do your, your stuff. But I absolutely agree that from the public view, you know, you can feel as impassioned as you want to about some, some political or religious wrong and just realize, go back 10 years, how the how things have changed and evolved and the pendulum moves back and forth. And it's, um, like you said, the internet's forever. So people go, oh, look, you yeah. said eight years ago, you said blah, when it was the thing to say, but now it's just the opposite. And now yeah. you're, you're going to be caught in this, in this web Ooh. of, of, um, yeah. of, of yeah. pushback on you. And it's just not worth and, it. And if you really word is the key word you just said was evolve. I think you said evolve. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, things evolve. And when you understand that things evolve, your position as well could evolve. And who you were 10 years ago is not the same person. But if you say that 10 years ago, it can definitely affect your career in a negative way. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah. You know, so it's just unfortunate. So on um, the subject then of of writing, any particular other, because this has been very very good what you covered and i've not really addressed this before any other yeah. tips you've got for the aspiring writer and i don't know if, i guess this would also apply to um, the artist as well not i guess it definitely applies to the artist as well the illustrator on getting them getting themselves uh known any other things that you've that you routinely get asked or go over when you do your um keynotes yeah you know um let's see so there are two things one is, for example, if you're in the California area, Los Angeles area, and you're just starting writing, you know, uh, you would join a group called, you know, Gloss. Why? Okay, this is how Gloss helped me. That particular, not to just pound in your, you know, pound on, you know, pound in your mind, get join Gloss, but that particular society, uh, they would go to writing conventions every single month. So here's a tip. You join a writing organization, whether it's in Ohio, Florida, wherever it is, and you volunteer. When you volunteer, you get a chance to go to these, well, at least with our particular organization, you go to these events free. So when you go to an event like the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books, where 18, 20,000 people, you are now able to, to, to interact with all of these people who could be your potential fans and your potential mentors. It's a wonderful way to interact with them. And part of 
my path and my growth in the literary industry was getting to know people over the years, being to those events over and over, seeing them over and over and over again at West Hollywood Book Fair, at the, you know, at the at, at uh, Comic Con or at the WonderCon. WonderCon we should do a lot and see them over and over again and talk to them and sometimes sit down at lunch with them. You know, that whole process not only gave me the knowledge and the how-to about you know, writing books and you know but it also just it, it helped me develop relationships which is so key in this industry developing relationships so i would the tip i would have is join a writers group a writer society society if you're already a published author and you're not just an aspiring author you've been out there maybe you you know you, you were lucky enough right on your first book to have a new york times bestseller then you join organizations that are that have been long-standing that are prestigious like a horror writers association, which is worldwide, you know, and that organization can also help propel and launch you into the higher level or the next level of your career. And then the other thing is, you know, in some of the writing societies, they have what you call um, writers groups or uh, critique groups. That helped me when I first started the Greater Los Angeles Writers Society. You know, I, I joined a critique group. And the critique group allowed me to get instantaneous, very quick, you know, reactions to my writing because we would submit a chapter or submit, you know, two chapters or 20 pages or 25 pages. And everyone in that group would be able to respond as a new writer. It was great to be able to see 10, 12 different people, you know, opinions of my writing. Warning, warning, warning. This is the warning. You know, sometimes that can turn you off. But the thing Tony Tadari, Tony and Tadari used to always say is, if 10 people say this about your writing, maybe they have a thing. Maybe, you know, maybe they're saying something that's important. Doesn't mean change it, but it does mean to look at it and maybe improve upon it or polish it. Not just, you know, necessarily go on what someone says. But I had very good experiences with my writing group. I do know people who had bad experiences with critique groups. So I do say, do your research and do your research well and find out if it's a reputable critique group that you join. Who are the people in the group? Do they have published work? Do they have self-published work? You know, are they serious about their writing or have they just been doing it for 15 years and no one's put out a book? So you do your research on that. But if you can get with a good critique group, it can really help launch your career because in my critique group, I had a guy that helped start me out. He basically did my editing for me for free for my first book. So I actually had a professional editor which is, could be worth anywhere from three to five thousand dollars, fifteen hundred bucks. You know, I had a for free that went over and did a substantive editing of my book, and it helped me get it really polished so I could submit it to the publishers. So, you know, I think those are the great tips. Join a writing group or join a critique group, and that will help kind of further and, and get your you know get your feet into you know get your feet solid into you know into the foundation of your career of, of writing. That's awesome. Thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, last thing that I need to uh, make sure everybody knows is um, branding. So how do people find Nzandi? Oh, okay. Well, uh, I mean, simply, you, you know, if you Google Ace Antonio Hall, you know, if you Google that, then all the stuff comes up. Or if you Google N-Z-O-N-D-I, you know, a lot of stuff comes up, but they're also African uh, a lot of people in Africa with the name Nzandi. So it may be very unique here in America, but it's, it's a popular name in Africa. 
Paul. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, uh, you know, my book, my book uh, is called Owari Mosaic. O W A R E. It kind of is pronounced like O H W A R E E E. Owari Mosaic. And you can Google that. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter as Inzon at Inzondi three. I'm on Facebook as Ace Antonio Hall in parentheses Inzondi. So you can definitely Google that. I've been lucky enough. A lot of things that I've written and posted have been quoted and requoted. If, if you put in Ace Antonio Hall quotes, you will find a flurry of different websites that have uh, loved my quotes and put them in different pictures and you know have uh, cited my quotes. So those are some of the ways that you can find me and my upcoming. And you can also look at some of the publishers. Uh, my first publisher uh, was uh, uh, was Montag Press, M-O-N-T-A-G Press Collective, or the publisher that I've done three or four books with, Omnium Gatherum, uh, O-M-N-I-U-M, Gatherum, G-A-T-H-E-R-U-M Media. And they're actually doing my next book, which is called... Uh, Lipstick Asylum that will be coming out in the fall of this year, September 2021. That's great. And absolutely, anybody listening to this, take a look at one of these, any of these social pages. He's got such a cool headshot. You know, he's like, <laughs> he practices what he preaches. So that's, that's really awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. Yes. Well, thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well by just typing in Writers of the Future. Again, I highly recommend you read the Writers of the Future series. These are, after all, who our judges have selected as the best of the best new writers and artists. They can be found at writersofthefuture.com, at Amazon, or wherever you get your books. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Nzandi. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Thanks a lot, John. <laughs>